Some say he's a technical whiz. Some say he was born in Cornwall. While some say that he's on a journey. It's the journey, and here's your host, David Hackett. Hi everyone, another journey, and today's journey is going to be from a graduate from Antioch University with a master's degree in psychology and counselling, and that was way back in 1989, and I was only six years old at the time. And this person also co-directed a sexual abuse treatment program called Parents United in Santa Fe, New Mexico in 1991. And as I had a small pra- private practice before going into private practice full time, she has been a psychotherapist treating children, families, couples and individual adults for 32 years and has worked extensively with abuse and dysfunctional family dynamics, their aftermath and some of the most important elements for healing. They have also published two books, which I no doubt will be told where they will be when we ask them. And they are called A Light Into the Darkness and Into the Fire. And they are presently working with a professional editor on the book they have written about bringing America to therapy. They live in Teos. Um, now, I'm not American, so I apologize. Where's it? And I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. I'll ask in a minute. Anyway. Mostly retired now, focusing on writing, and we're going to introduce Phyllis Leafit. Welcome to the journey. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate um, being able to talk with you today. No worries. And as I always say, the bio will be what I just read will be written down below or, you know, afterwards. But every journey starts somewhere. And the joke goes, yes. We was born, and that is a long-standing joke, and you understand why it's a joke. But where does your journey begin? Well, I think the the part of my journey that I want to share today is that when I was really young, I knew I wanted to be a writer. I think that, I don't know if you're born with those inclinations sometimes, but I always wanted to be a writer. And I had no idea what I wanted to say. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, but I, I started writing a little bit of poetry when I was a really young teenager and I really loved doing that. I loved words. I loved, you know, sort of making rhythm and cadence with the words, but I really didn't know, um, what actually, you know, I wanted to express, but the, but the process of trying to write poetry was fun for me and kind of really, um, allowed me to connect to what felt like more of my essential self. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's where the journey began that I want to share with you today. And and then, you know, what I what really um the other important part of my journey was that I really felt like I was living kind of under a dark cloud myself. And I didn't really ever understand that. And that that was as long as I can remember. I just felt alone and unlovable, even though I was in a family. Um I had a good education, but I I always just felt like there was some darkness around me that I couldn't understand or make sense of. And so kind of from very early on without distinguishing it, my motivation in life was to to figure myself out. And um, 
So I was a kind of a very introspective person. And I didn't figure myself out. I just kind of went along in life trying to, you know, trying to be look normal and trying to achieve. And um, I ended up, and this was kind of in the late 60s, I ended up um, joining a spiritual group. And I was really seeking some answers for myself there. If I could figure myself out or figure out what I was doing here as a human being or what the purpose of human life was. I was looking in a really spiritual direction. Um, and at a certain point, and even though I had some wonderful experiences, and I really did, I had some very profound connections to divine love. And I had some very profound moments, I would say moments, they weren't lasting, moments of real insight um, into, you know, sort of a bigger picture. But my own internal world didn't change. And so at one point, and at this point, I was uh, married and I had three little children. I decided to go to therapy. And that was where I began to remember what happened to me when I was a kid. That was, there was some abuse in my childhood that was very traumatic that I had buried. And that's really what the dark cloud was about. Um and so that started a whole journey uh, of its own. Um, the world of psychology was very new to me. It wasn't anything I was brought up with, but but it was where I first learned that what happens in your childhood and our conditioning has everything to do with what becomes of us and our, our coping mechanisms, our beliefs, our feelings, the kinds of situations and people we're drawn to or not drawn to. Um my life began to make sense when I realized that I was suffering from buried uh, memories of trauma. And, um, and I became a therapist. And that was, that's, that's where that part of the journey um, began. So I'll let you chime in and yeah. you ask me. So, um, you know, you're saying about the dark cloud, and I understand our dark cloud is when it comes to abuse because you tend to blacken it out to not recognize right. it and right. and i've always talked personally as well about myself when i do interviews and i've spoken about this in a few of my podcasts but the fact is abuse is there and i don't condone it i don't support it because i've been there myself and it happened at the time where I needed to adapt to life quite quickly. I only just left home. I was 18 and mm. I had to adapt quite quickly in a situation that I was unfamiliar with. And when I was abused, it wasn't a nice place because I was already vulnerable, but I didn't know how to address the situation to say, stop, this is wrong. Now, I know it was wrong. Right. But I couldn't do anything to push that abuser away. I was abused in such a way it left me traumatized and it still leaves me traumatized. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not proud of what happened to me. I'm not proud of what, you know, what he forced upon me. And, you know, it took me two years to actually come out and say, this happened. And even then, the you know, please at the time they said if he does it he's got to write it down they didn't prosecute because i left it too long but they wanted him to document if he was to have any 
and uh, you know i will make sure this is got the esports explicit but they if he was to have sexual encounters yeah i mean there's so much trauma not only around the abuse itself but on either not being believed or not being protected or feeling shame about what happened even though it's not your fault it wasn't my fault when i was a little girl but that's not what we internalize we internalize shame about what happened and it's hard to talk about and i know for me i didn't want to be one of those people whatever i thought one of those people was but i was one of those people and it had really affected my life really deeply and so you know i so you know I, I, one of the things i was touched by in in the one of your podcasts that i watched um where the man was talking about the motivation behind what he does now and it made me think you know the whole motivation of my life has been to like figure it out to go deep to go inside that's just the nature of me and so becoming a psychotherapist was sort of a natural outcropping of that and um and what happened for me so i just followed that thread there was no other thread to follow and i really enjoyed working one on one with people and because i was doing the the work on myself what other people had experienced that was really heavy and dark and frightening didn't frighten me because i'd already been going through it myself and so i think that helped bring the people toward me that were the right fit for the kind of work that i did which i really like to do really deep inner work mm. with people and help people move through what i had struggled so hard and you know it was an ongoing process it wasn't an overnight process of of moving through and then what happened for me was i sort of had this big aha and that was that there's millions of people like me out there whether it's um sexual or physical or emotional abuse in childhood or they're suffering from racial discrimination or the after effects of war or poverty um or sexism um people are suffering from all kinds of trauma all over the world and most people are not getting help I was fortunate that I was in a place in life where I could get help and I got a lot of help over many years um and I'm really grateful for that but it dawned on me that that we have a world full of traumatized people that are getting no help and they're suffering the after effects of abuse like I was and some of them in much worse ways than I was like I think I'm a fortunate one in that I mostly acted in on myself I just, you know, had a lot of self-criticism, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of, you know, don't talk, don't don't share, don't don't be seen, hide. But a lot of people's after-effective abuse is is not just passivity or learned helplessness, which is sometimes what happens. You just you're overpowered, so you le actually learn to be helpless. And that was part of what happened to me as well. But some people become the abuser. that's the after effect for them they identify with the aggression they don't want to feel overpowered and they identify with aggression in themselves and with people who are aggressive and so that aha led to where my current book is and that is i'm writing a book now called america in therapy or some version of that title i haven't totally landed on it yet but it's about bringing our country to therapy because a lot of the ways what i see is that a lot of the ways that are causing people to feel traumatized 
are coming down from the top. They're institutionalized forms of abuse, whether it's police violence against Black people um, or the sexism that still is rampant in our country where we have not passed the ERA, which is the Equal Rights Amendment, which would guarantee women equal pay for equal work that men do. That's astonishing in our country that women are not treated equally. There's not that kind of justice. So there's sort of abuse coming down from the top, whether it's putting immigrant children in cages or, um, you know, the resistance to raising the minimum wage or the inordinate number of people of color being um, put in jail as opposed to people who are white. I mean, it's rampant. And so my thought was, we're seeing the same dynamics of abuse that we see in families happening, coming down from the top in our country. And that psychology really holds some of the answers. If I could find healing, if I had the safety to go down deep into the roots of the violence that I experienced and come out the other side, then our country can do that too. If we want to, if we're committed to it, if we want to use some of the skills that we already know from the the field of psychotherapy that we could use on a national level. What if we had a mediator in Congress that was actually whose job, whose whose, um, official job was to help opposing parties talk and listen to each other with respect and openness um, rather than infighting and this huge partisan divide. Um, What if we had that as part of our government? So that's where my book came from. It came right from my personal experience to realizing I'm not alone, to realizing these dynamics are rampant in our society. And we do have the tools to stop this if we want to use them. And that's really what my book is devoted to. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about the divide wherever you are in the world. There is a big divide, you know, in UK, there's a big divide, you, you know, America especially, but UK is not far behind. And I just, you know, I try and keep it political free if I can, but I don't mind discussing right. it because it is a subject. But the fact is, this divide will not ever go away. It always will be there. Whoever is in charge or whoever is leading it, it always will be it always will be physically there. And and I, yeah. you know, like you said, if there is a mediator, fine. It's got to be impartial. But the problem is impartiality doesn't come into it because they get influenced. And then it goes into the scenario of bribery and, you know, it is like a little thing under the table, do this and, you know. Mm-hmm. No, you're you're absolutely right. And I think that, um, you know, opposition is part of human nature. We disagree with each other. It is just part of human nature. Um, I think the, the, the argument that I have or the point that I'm trying to make is, you know, like if you, if we just go back to like individual therapy, when a couple comes to therapy, for instance, they want to heal the relationship because the fighting or the, or the affairs or the anger or the acting out is hurting them. They're being hurt. Their children are being hurt. So they have a motivation to come to therapy 
And the idea of therapy is to help people listen to each other with, with some empathy, with some compassion, to listen to each other the way that they actually want to be heard by the other person. And this is a skill we can learn. Will we always ever agree? No. I, you know, I don't think that's possible for human beings, but we don't have to agree. We just have to agree not to act out on each other when we don't agree. And for families that come to get out of the war that they're in with each other, they can learn those skills or they can learn to separate and end the marriage peacefully without, you know, taking somebody to the cleaners or trying to steal the kids or slitting their tires or, you know, acting out on the person that they feel hurt by or abandoned by. And my, my contention is that we can learn to do that as a country. We don't have to disagree. I mean, we don't have to agree. We can learn the skills of peaceful conflict resolution if we have the motivation. You know, a fighting couple has a motivation if they want to stay together. And what I'm feeling is that the motivation, the overarching motivation for our country and for the human race is that the wars that we can create out of our hatred and greed and anger and racism and you know, religious fanaticism and all the rest, the wars that we can create with the nuclear weapons we have can destroy life. And if that isn't a motivation, I don't know what's going to be. Yeah. That, that could be our motivation. We really want to live. We want our children and our grandchildren and all future generations to inherit a habitable earth where they are welcomed. And, and I believe we could actually do it if we wanted to because we do do it in our individual lives. Do we do it perfectly? No, but we don't have to do it perfectly. We just have to try. <laughs> That's yeah, my point. Yeah. It's like, you know, saying about trying if we can, and it's about a poem I heard way, way back. It's called you can, if you think you can. Absolutely. And I, I you know, I, I, don't know the exact words off by art, but it's about, I can find it. But the fact is, it's not about the fastest, slowest one, the person who talks louder than the others. It's about the person who thinks they can. So it talks about think the one individual. It doesn't say about a group. It says about the one person. And when I first heard that poem, it mm. inspired me so much because the fact was of how it stood out how it stood out for individuality. It didn't speak about groups. Yes, it, you know, to some people might seem as groups, but it's written as an individual to be the only one to be proud of. And I think when I first heard it, yes, I was in school. So that was 99 I heard it, first of all. Mm. And mm -hmm. it was just so powerful. It was that sort of impact that left me inspired to use it often and i have used it often in certain things i've done in the past because it is a good motivational therapy talking where people can say yes i can because i believe i can right and look what you're doing you're doing it now by having a podcast where you're actually you just by yourself sitting there talking to people are bringing all these different points of view and other people's experience that has helped them. You've bringing, you're bringing that to a large audience. And 
And that's a powerful point. And that that is also one of the things that I'm talking about in my book, which is we can all make a difference. I don't have to run for senator. I don't have to be someone who's going to clean up the water on the entire planet and bless the people who do, do that. Um, but I can do it in my own life. And we can all follow the thread of where our heart and soul takes us. And that will be our contribution to the betterment of everyone. Yeah. And and you're a great example of that, you know, Thank just you. what you're doing right now. <laughs> Thank you. But I found a poem now and it's called, you okay. and I'm going to read it because I don't mind my right. listeners viewers right. watching, but it's a follow, inspire, inspiring poem by C.W. Longnecker. And it's called, You Can If You Think You Can. And you can tell me your thoughts afterwards. If you think you are beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you like to win, but think you can't, it is almost certain you won't. If mm -hmm. you think you lose, you lost. For out into the world we find success begins with them. If you think you are outclassed, you are. You got to think high to rise. You got to be sure of yourself before you can even win a prize. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or faster man, but sooner or later, the man who wins is the man who thinks he can. That's beautiful. I love it. But you see what I mean about individuality? It doesn't really speak bounds for groups, but because it was read in the context, it will hit individual people in so many different ways. That's my opinion anyway. Well, I think you're right. And I also think that one person speaking that, like you reading that, one person speaking that can influence a group or an, another individual. Um, you know, like wonderful stories that you've probably seen or documentaries of someone who went to into a school in an inner city and they believed in the kids and they helped them form a basketball team or a rowing team and, you know, cheered them on and held that presence of you can do this. I believe in you. And the whole group transforms. So I think I think it can work on both levels. Yeah, and, you know, when I first read it, because I actually did use it in a speech I did, I was 16. It was the first time I did a speech in front of anyone. It was, you know, I was wow. le I was leaving school because obviously in England you leave school at 16. And I okay. did a and I did a um award ceremony. You know, I was part of it because there was two categories in the awards. There was a bronze award, which is what most students went for because it was the baseline, you know, award. And then I was only one of two in that particular year to do silver award so i wow. did the silver award but the fact was that there was like 60 different people no about 90 people in this one auditorium if you want to call it that and i said i want to read this poem i knew about it before i did it so i knew what mm -hmm. to say i said i want to read this to these people who went through what wow. i did Wow. And I went up there Beautiful. after I received my award. And I said, because I was only one, like I said, one of two to get the silver, I felt like I had to influence everyone there. And I said, I want to read this. And just, you know, they were all joking, laughing, you know, being noisy like teenagers are. Right, right. But as soon as they heard me, me start that poem, they just went all quiet and they listened. See, and there was your group. Yeah. 
There was your group. Beautiful. So beautiful. Like, you know, I think it's just that, that principle of, you know, you, somebody lit your flame and then you lit the wick of other people and their flames started to burn. And that's, that's the beauty of what we can do with sharing the best of ourselves with other people. And that's the purpose of the journey. No, because I believe, you know, everyone's got a journey. I've always said the motto, you know, is everyone's got a journey. Everyone's got a different story to tell. But the fact is, it's not a straight, narrow freeway. It's got the diversions. It's got the turn-offs. That's the journey, not one straight road where you can go. Absolutely. Sometimes you don't know where you are, right? Yeah. (laughs) Where you are in the journey. (laughs) But that's part of learning. Yeah, totally. That's part of understanding, okay, I'm here. Why am I here? Mm -hmm. Because I'm learning. Mm -hmm. Why are you learning? Because mm. I want to grow. That's right. That's it. That's the bottom line. I want to grow. So, I want to have a better life. So that was before, like I said, that was before I was sexually abused. And after I was sexually abused, two, this was, was like two years before I was sexually abused. But, you know, I was confident. I was shy. Yeah. Yeah. I was having yeah. troubles. But as soon as I got abused, yeah, it knocked yeah. me back to the stage of where I was when I was a young child because I didn't know what to do. I I was scared. Yeah, it's very frightening. And like I said, I still have flashbacks now. I'm not saying it's intentional because I often do push people away when they try Mm. and be infectionate, be loving, being kind. Because Mm. I don't intentionally want to hurt them because, you know, they support me. But I have to put block up because I feel like I'm being attacked again. Yeah. No, I'm not saying, no, I'm not saying that person's going to attack me. I know. That's a PTSD response. You mm. know, that's a traumatic response. And that's that's what I'm talking about, that there's there's millions of people like this, you know, that don't know why they're suffering why they, or why they do or feel the way they do. And mm. you know, my, my prayer, my hope for our country and the world is that we start putting our resources into helping people not building bombs and um, not, you know, so materially focused, but to really help people and families and um, address the issue of sexual and physical violence. Um, Because most, this is what I've found in my practice, that most perpetrators have also been victims. So we have to stop the cycle somewhere. And that's sometimes hard to digest, you know, because we want to be angry at the perpetrator. But most perpetrators didn't get that way by accident. They had some either abuse themselves or exposure to violence, or they were conditioned to believe that was the what you're supposed to do or allowed to do, or nobody ever gave them any limits and boundaries on, you know, what they could do and what they were entitled to. And so, you know, the whole idea is not to blame and punish. The whole idea is to stop the cycle. And yes, sometimes people need consequences for what they did and they have to be held responsible. Absolutely. Mm. But I was just going into the future now. And you've already pretty much touched upon it. You know, you said about breaking that cycle. Mm-hmm. Do you think it will ever be achieved realistically if people put their minds to it? 
Well, I think it's possible because I see it happen in individual people's lives and a country and a government is made up of individual people. So if it's possible for individuals, it is possible for the collective. Do I see it happening tomorrow? Probably not. Um, I think we have a lot of work to do as individuals and a country to even recognize what we're trying to heal and to find the motivation to heal it. My guess is that... um, that we have to feel it more deeply. You know, one of the things that I talk about in my book is that we're we're kind of a culture that's focused on not feeling pain. And of course, no one wants to feel pain. I don't want to feel pain. But there's a certain place for pain, that pain is a motivator to, to actually heal. So if we were able to look at some of the emotional pain in our in our culture as the access to healing rather than just numb ourselves out or distract or project it onto somebody else. Um, then I think, then I think we have better access to looking for that healing in ourselves and stop projecting it onto other people, our, our pain onto other people. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. You know, yeah. Like we, there's a way that we, that, that, you know, in good therapy, you, you can feel some of your pain. You need to, it's not like you want, you want to be re-traumatized or go back and stay in a, in a traumatic space, but the pain is the motivator to heal. Just like if you have, you know, if your appendix is bursting, you don't want to numb that pain out. You want to get the appendix out. Yeah. Right. And that's an emotional pain is the same way. It could serve the same function if we understood that, that, that that's our motivator to heal what hurt in our emotional life or our physical life or our mental life mm. or our family life or our relational life or, you, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. So the, the fact is that, and I've learned this myself over the years, you got to experience the pain. It, not not relive it, just experience right. it. Just experience right. it to help right. you grow, to help you learn, to help you overcome. Mm-hmm. And my hope for our country, and I really it's really for the world, but I talk about America because I live in America. Um, my hope for our country is that we can take the pain that we're experiencing seriously. Like, for instance, the mass murders that are happening on almost a daily basis sometimes this is raw pain. The people who are doing it are in pain or they wouldn't do it. Mm. And the pain that they're inflicting on their innocent victims is something I, I don't even know if I could imagine. You know, And so my hope is that as a country, we will take that as a sign that we need national healing. We need to focus on people. We need to take care of each other so that children who are really symptomatic um, are seen and helped before they go shoot up a school. And, you know, talking about news events, you know, and it goes opposite of what we're talking about, but you talk about people helping each other. We've seen, as this is recorded, we've, you know, we've got the earthquake in Turkey. Right. You see the camaraderie there. You see the support there. You see the love there because everyone's right. trying to help each other. Exactly. And that's what I would want, you know, as a whole, as anything. You that's know, not just want. not just for rescue relief, not just for, you know, doing the individual things. It's got to be the bigger picture. It can't be just a small, well, and I always see 
thing events in life as a jigsaw you can't just be one little piece you've got to be the bigger clearer piece right. where it makes sense of what that image is I, I totally agree with you. And it's beautiful to see how people come together in, in, in the face of an emergency. And nobody thinks about what political party or religion or race you are. We're just helping each other live, right? We're rescuing who's ever under the rubble. And that's what I'd love to see here, you know, that that we can get beyond um, some of the judgments, the extreme judgments we have of each other and realize we're all in danger, of extinction, if we don't help the climate, if we don't pull back from our weapons, if we don't, you know, if we don't look at climate change, we're all in danger of extinction. Let's get on that boat together, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So I know you've got a website, and we're going to talk about that. And it's the best way, I assume, of people getting in contact with you. Tell us about your website and how they can get in contact with you. Yeah, thank you. My website is just my name, phyllislevitt.com. And it's P-H-Y-L-L-I-S-L-E-A-V-I-T-T.com. And um, uh, my phone number's on there. My There's an email address. And there's also a, a place on the homepage where if you'd like to stay in touch with me or receive some newsletters that I'm putting out about my new book, um, you can just sign into the contact space on the, on the homepage. And I would love to be in touch with you. And I have... I'm developing a YouTube channel and I have some things on there now and I'll be putting all my podcasts on there and they'll also be on my website and I have a Facebook page and a LinkedIn account. And those are my main social media. Although I do <laughs> have a little bit of Instagram and Twitter, but those are not my main ones. Yeah. So most of the website, LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, and then the two books that I wrote into the fire and um, uh, the first one was a light in the darkness. And the second one is into the fire. Those are on Amazon under my name. Okay. Um, one last thing. What would you say to people to give them positivity for the future? Yeah, I, I think we can all make a difference. Um, I think one loving act to a stranger or one kind word to a friend or pulling yourself back from an argument with a loved one and trying to listen to them makes a difference. And if you're called to something bigger, if you're called to work with climate change or write a book or make beautiful music or beautiful art, just follow where your own spirit calls you because, you know, that's what I, I think we all have a gift and I think everyone's gift is unique. So share yours, because <laughs> you know? we need it. We need everybody's gifts. Phyllis, it's been a pleasure talking to you on the journey today. And a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate you and thank you so much for having me. That was The Journey, hosted by Wise Words Imaging, hosted by David Hackett. Be sure to like, subscribe and listen to another journey coming soon.